Welcome, and thanks for joining us for this episode of the C3 Church Podcast. You're about to listen into a message from one of our gatherings. To find out more about our community, where we gather both in person and online, and how to get involved, head to cfreechurch.ca. Now, let's listen into a message from a recent service. I want to share a message this morning. I'm going to read a few, quite a few scriptures actually this morning, and it's a very simple message, but I do hope that you get something out of it. So the first scripture that I'm going to read is going to be in Matthew 5:43 to 48. I'm going to read it, then we're going to go into, um, I'm going to pray, give you the title, and we'll go from there. Again, as always, I encourage you to be a note taker. Let us be a church that is a church full of note takers. You'll hear me um, you'll hear me the more and more you see me here on Sundays, the more and more you will hear about who we are and how we do things. We don't do things the way that other churches do. I've been, I've been thinking this may be offensive, so hopefully you all love me still, but I've been thinking that we should do an advertising campaign for the church and, and call it not your grandma's church, but grandma's welcome too. <laughs> so um, but that's what I've been thinking. Again, hopefully that doesn't offend anyone, but uh, that's sort of what I've been thinking about. Um, we, uh, we last week, last week we were talking, uh, about a scripture out of the Sermon on the Mount and the Sermon on the Mount is this famous sermon that Jesus shares and, and what it, um, what he does now, it was a a single message and he shares all of this. And one, one scholar would say that the Sermon on the Mount is the summation or the summary of everything that Jesus ever teached. So basically if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you would understand all of Jesus's teachings. It's a few different parts and whatnot. And I want to read, this is a, a verse from that, and this is where we're going to take the start of it. It's in verse, sorry, uh, chapter 5, verse 43 to 44. It says this, you've heard that it was said, Jesus was standing on the mountain. He was preaching to people, much like this, and he was telling them all these things. It was a society, just like our society. Societies believe things, right? Societies believe things. And Jesus is saying, Here's what society believes. Here's what you hear every day. Here's what is told to you, right? Society believes that you have to work hard to go up in work, right? To, to get elevated, you work harder. Society says busy is, is best, right? If you ask someone how they're doing and they don't say busy, they feel undervalued. Busyness seems to be a badge of honor in our society. So Jesus was standing on the mountain and he was saying, here's the things you hear it said. Let me tell you about that. Let me tell you a contrast to what you're hearing in society today. It says, you have heard that it was said, love your neighbor. Everyone can agree with that? And hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Society says, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Makes sense. Jesus says, love your enemy. And pray for those who persecute you that you may be sons of your father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good. He sends rain on the righteous and the righteous. Sorry, on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are you, are not even the tax collectors doing that? You see tax collectors talked about a lot in the Bible. Tax collectors collected money from people, but mostly they were dishonest. What he's saying is even the most dishonest people that we know of in our society love their neighbors and hate their enemies. Like you're going to love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Great. You're as good as the most dishonest person in the room. Great job. 
He probably used far less sarcasm than I do. And if you greet only your brothers, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Pagans being those with no religion. He says, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. My title of my message uh, today, it's not nearly as exciting as 100% sodium and stupid carpenters like last week, but you can look that up and that's fine. Um, my, my title this morning is, Who is Your Enemy? Who is your enemy? Would you close your eyes as I pray? God, open our ears. Speak to each and every one of us individually. Jesus, as you've made yourself known already this morning, continue to make yourself known in this moment. We pray in your name. Amen. This is what Jesus shares in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and, the, and I said already, the reason the Sermon on the Mount is so important is because it really dictates and it really illustrates very much what Jesus was teaching. We can always go back to it. And, and so much of our world today, we have, a, we have a society that tells us how we should live. And if you've grown up in church, you've been around church a long time, sometimes you need to make sure you go back to the words of Jesus because sometimes what the church is teaching looks a lot more like society than what Jesus taught. Right? I, I, there's no one that you will encounter that wouldn't, you know, they might not say it, but wouldn't agree with that statement that Jesus made. You've heard it said, love your neighbors, hate your enemies. I uh, drive periodically to Sycamus. Um, no, not Sycamus, Salmon Arm. I've driven to Salmon Arm and you go a different way. It's not where I usually drive. And you drive through Salmon Arm and there's these billboards. I don't know what the area is, somewhere between here and Salmon Arm. And there's one billboard up, and it, it, it's, um, it's a, there's a, a, a church group or whatever, and it says, love your enemies, right? It's the scripture on a billboard. And the very next one is F. Trudeau. <laughs> and the contrast is so stark. Glorified our hatred towards someone irrelevant of whether you agree with them or not. And the contrast that, no, no, love your enemies. And we're going to look at a, a scripture, and you all know it probably because it's just, it's uh, famous in our world. It's in Luke 10, 25 to 37. It's um, the story of the Good Samaritan. Everyone, anyone heard the Good Samaritan story before? Yeah, yeah, Good Samaritan story. I'm going to read this first in um, the message version. I just love how the message um, simplifies things. The message is sort of a summary of the Bible. Uh, there we go. 25 to 37. It says, just then a religion scholar stood up with a question to test Jesus. Teacher, what do I need to do to get eternal life? So this is someone who knew the scripture of the day really well. They weren't really asking a question for an answer. How many of us do that in our life? We ask questions so that we can tell our answer, not so we can hear an answer. So he stands up. Smart man, asks a question so that he can put Jesus in his place. He answers, Jesus answers, what's written in God's law? How do you interpret it? In those days, um, and still something that is practiced in Judaism right now, is you, uh, uh, one thing that, that may have happened at that point in time is there was a, uh, there's a practice where you would, in the morning for your morning's prayer, you would have a, a little leather book and it would be tied to your head and it would be tied to your arm. And it contained a number of scriptures and you include it in your morning prayer. It's a Jewish practice. They're called uh, Phi, 
five, I'm, I'm gonna say something inappropriate if I try to guess what the word's called. Um, anyways, a phylacteries. No, I would have said it right. It just feels like I was gonna say something naughty. Phylacteries, these little leather books, little leather books up here. <laughs> okay, we're all good? Yeah. Um, and uh, so there's this idea that maybe this, this teacher was wearing those. He'd done his morning prayer, and, and those scriptures in there were just a number of scriptures to remember the commandments of the, the, um, the Jewish people. And you would wear it uh, when you prayed so that you'd remember that every day I remember these commandments. So Jesus is asking him, so what's your interpretation of the scriptures that you have tied on your head and you tied on your arm? Like, what is it that you understand those to mean? And the man responds. He said, well, that you love your Lord, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and muscle and intelligence. You know that as love the Lord your God with heart, soul, and mind. And that you love your neighbor as well as you do yourself. Jesus responds, good answer. I'd be pretty happy if Jesus responded and said, good answer to me. Doesn't happen very often. He says, stop complaining most of the time. No, he doesn't do that to you. I know it's just to me. He says, do it and you'll live. Looking for a loophole, he asked. This is the teacher. And just how, you, how do you define neighbor? Isn't that the, the question that most of us ask? Well, just who do I have to love? Oh, just who do I have to resolve my differences with? Oh, just who do I have to forgive them their trespasses as you forgive me my trespasses? Can we get a little clear definition because you've left it a bit vague for me, Jesus, and the vagueness couldn't possibly be what you mean. The vagueness just really doesn't work out with my actions. The vagueness does not justify what I want to do. Most of us look into scripture not for the answers, but just very much like this teacher. We come asking a question of Jesus so we can give him our answer. We come to the scripture with the thing that we want to see, the thing that we want to justify, the thing that we want to do, the thing that we want to be, and we say, Jesus, please give me a scripture that lets me do what I continue to want to do. Please don't give me a scripture that convicts me. Please don't give me a scripture that tells me I'm guilty of something. Please give me something soft and gentle that feels like the Jesus I've always seen in the pictures with his long flowing blue hair and that sheep on his shoulders. Please let me find the Jesus of antiquity in the paintings, not the Jesus that I find in scripture that wants me not just saved, but free. This man asks for a loophole. None of us do that. Just how would you define neighbor? Jesus answered by telling a story. Most of Jesus' answers were stories. If you ever get upset about hearing stories, please go to Jesus. He actually mostly told stories. Get good at telling a story. Most of us think we need scripture, which we do. We need scripture to transform someone's lives. Jesus had scripture, but predominantly he had story. Your story changes someone's lives. Let the weight drop off for a moment. You don't have the answers of how to share Jesus with someone but you have your story, which is how Jesus shared him with others. Your story, your story is enough. Share your story. So Jesus says a story. He says, well, there was a man 
traveling from Jerusalem to Jericho. On the way, he was attacked by robbers. They took his clothes, beat him up, and went off leaving him half dead. Luckily, luckily, everyone say luckily. Luckily, a priest showed up. Good sign. Priest was on his way down the same road, but when he saw him, he angled away across to the other side. Then a Levite, everyone know what a Levite is? No. (laughs) Uh, A Levite, religious man showed up. A Levite uh, was someone from the heritage of Levi. If you go back to Joseph and his amazing technicolor dream coat, there was a brother named Levi. A Levite is anyone who was of the heritage of Levi. Now, what that meant is Levites were the only people who could perform tasks in the temple, in the church of the day. So a priest was the top and the priest had to be a Levite. But the Levites were just below that. So it's sort of like the pastor showed up and then the church leader showed up next. The worship leader showed up next. The first impressions person showed up next. The other people involved in the business of the church, the behind the scenes people, the sound man showed up on the other side of the street. I know, the Levite sound man. Then a Levite religious man showed up. Again, what a great thing. A church pastor has showed up and there's a man broken hurting on the other side of the road. Great, a church leader showed up. There's a man broken hurting on the other side of the road. Surely they'll do something. Then a Levite religious man showed up. He also avoided the injured man. A Samaritan traveling the road came on him. When he saw the man's condition, his heart went out to him. He gave him first aid, disinfecting and bandaging his wounds. Then he lifted him onto his donkey, led him to an inn and made him comfortable. In the morning, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take good care of him. If it costs any more, put it on my bill. I'll pay you on my way back. What do you think? This is Jesus. Which of these three became a neighbor? Became a neighbor to the man attacked by robbers. The one who treated him kindly, the religion scholar responded. Jesus said, go and do the same. Now, there's a lot in this story of um, the Good Samaritan. And and it it seems like a really pretty simple answer. And and in reality, if if we just went really simple, Jesus is saying, doesn't matter if they're your neighbor or your enemy because your enemy is your neighbor and your neighbor is your enemy. And then he's saying, love takes action. Simplify it very clearly. Jesus is saying, your enemy is your neighbor. Your neighbor is your enemy. Love takes action. And it's, it's interesting when you read through this story, if you read just a, a few passages back before that, you read in Luke 9, 49 to 54. I won't read it right now, but Jesus was on a mission. So Jesus went around, he traveled with his merry band of men and he would travel around and he would share the message of what he, what he was sharing to people. He would share the message that there was freedom. Before Jesus came on the scene, the only way that you would be of value and worth was all the things that you had to do. And if you got out of step a little bit, if your boot got muddy, if you touched something dead, if you know any of this happened, then there were all of these things you had to do again to be worthy, righteous, and valuable. Your value was distinguished by what you did and what you did not do. 
be very clear. If that's what it was before Jesus came, please, like I said last week, stop trying to be a Christian and thinking that it's about what you do or don't do that makes you right with Jesus. That was before. Isn't it funny how we spend time in churches thinking it's about what we do or what we don't do, but it's the very thing that Jesus came to break and to destroy, to say, actually, you are of value and worth in spite of, irrelevant of, what you do or what you don't do. If you spend time with me, that's the primary and most important thing to do right now. Spend time with me. So just before this few chapters back, right, Jesus would run around, not run around, but like walk, no, he would hike, not in snowshoes, but you know, he was, he'd go around with his group and he would share this message. And, and then, uh, like I said, a few chapters back, there's this story of Jesus telling his disciples, hey, I would like to go to Samaria. Samaria. I would like to preach in Samaria. So he sends some people ahead of him to say, hey, Jesus is coming. He's been known by that point in time. Jesus is known as the man who heals the sick. He's the man who sets people free. He is this man. So he sends people ahead, hey, Jesus is coming. And they say, actually, Jesus uh, Jesus was on his way from there to Jerusalem. What you'll learn is that Jerusalem was home of the Jewish people. Samaria was home of the Samaritans and they were enemies. So they found out that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem and they said, actually, if you're on your way there, we don't want you here. So just a few pages before, Jesus shares a message about a Samaritan man who helps people. Jesus is told, do not come to Samaria. Jesus is sharing a message and he's using the very people who rejected him as the sign of they being the neighbor. Jesus didn't let his rejection disqualify people from still being his neighbor. Usually we're that point. Usually we're the people who, okay, as, as long as they don't reject us, then we can accept them. But Jesus is like, actually, they're my neighbor, even though they rejected me. Do you know what I find really interesting about this story as you walk through is you've got um, four characters. You've got the traveler, you've got the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan. I guess you've got the innkeeper too. It's five, five characters. The person you know the least about is the innkeeper because I forgot about him. But the person you know the least about after that is the traveler. The story that Jesus had to share to people but how do you love your neighbor? How do you love the Lord your God? Had nothing to do with the person that they were loving. It's an omission. He omits it. We don't know if that man was a Samaritan, a Jewish man. We don't know anything much about him other than he was hurting. We usually want to know everything there is about someone before we fix what's hurting. And Jesus is saying, actually, once you know they're hurting, you know all you need to know. That's it. This road from Jerusalem to Jericho was very rocky. It was known for being a spot that people would get robbed. This man was alone. It was uncommon for people to travel alone because it was unsafe. So this man was stupid. You guys don't know what to do about that, I know. He shouldn't have been alone traveling on that road. It's his own fault that he got robbed. He deserved it. Beating on the side of the road, no clothes. Well, if you'd gone with friends, then this wouldn't have happened. Serves you right. 
But the omission is actually it didn't matter if it served him right. Didn't matter if it was his fault. Didn't matter who he was. It mattered what? That he was broken and that he was needy. The priest walks by, goes the other way. There's an um, understanding uh, in the Jewish uh, faith that there were things that made you unclean. And if you were unclean, there were rituals, practices you had to go to to get clean again. This priest was probably on the way to do something at a temple. On the way to do something. He was on his way to work at the temple. And he knew the man, maybe he thought the man was dead. Maybe he thought the man was bleeding out. But he knew if he was to touch a dead body, he would be ritually unclean. And you know what that means? There'd be work he'd have to do on the other end. So if I go and touch this dead body, he looks half dead. Don't know which half. If I go touch the dead body, it will be inconvenient for the the service I need to do to God. If I stop on my way to the service that I'm going to, to help this man who is needy, it will be inconvenient to the things I need to do for God. Jesus is not only in this story talking about loving the neighbor, he's talking about loving the Lord your God. Because this is what the Jewish people were doing at that time. They were, they were doing their best to qualify who a neighbor was. So what they wanted to qualify was that my neighbor exclusively was Jewish people. So as long as I treat Jewish people well, then I've done what God has said to me. And then I've treated God well by treating the chosen Jewish people well. Jesus, when he tells the story, he says, here's a man who's supposed to love God, but he has missed the point of loving God because he has has missed and forgotten and stepped over and stepped aside from the person who is broken and in need. He has chosen service over people. Both the priest and the Levite. The Samaritan, again, is an enemy of the Jewish people. They had different religious beliefs. They had a faction, um, a a division. They both believed a number of the same things, but there was this one key difference and they divided because of it. The Samaritan was on his way from Jericho to Jerusalem, which means he was in Judea, which means he was not where he was supposed to be. Samaria is here. Judea is here. Jericho to Jerusalem. He was traveling somewhere in a land that he was not supposed to be in. He was a foreigner. So you have priest, local, passes by the broken man. You have Levite, local, passes by the broken man. And you have foreigner who stops and sees the brokenness. The things that we see so commonly, we become numb to. And we stop doing the things that God has asked us to do. It's why it's easiest for most Christians to go on a missions trip. Because I can go there and serve those people. But Jesus, if you ask me to serve the people in front of me, that's just too hard. They did it to themselves. I know too much. It's funny, we would not help the person that's next door to us, but we'd help the person 5,000 miles away that we know less about. Do you get what I'm saying here? Jesus is trying to break some things in people. 
He's trying to break the religious that say that our duty is more important than people. He's trying to break the thing that says actually that the Samaritans are evil. He's actually, no, the Samaritans are good if they're doing the right thing. This Samaritan was in a land he wasn't supposed to be. He stops somewhere along the road, drops the, 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 the traveler, who we know nothing about, off at an inn, says pays for it, and leaves money to, and says, I'll pay for whatever's left after. Do you know what that means? The Samaritan was well-respected and traveled there enough that the innkeeper was willing to take it on credit. It wasn't just that he did the good thing once. It was that he was known as someone who was trustworthy. I have not been to a hotel recently where I said, I'll pay you for the extra nights when I decide I'm leaving. I'd like two up front and then we'll figure it out from there. But this man had enough stature in a foreign land. A land that he was the enemy. That's what you miss in this story. The Samaritan was the enemy. And Jesus is trying to be very clear. He says on the Sermon on the Mount, you say, love your neighbor, curse your enemy. I say, love your enemy. Pray for those who hurt you. This man comes and says, who's my neighbor? The person you're calling enemy is a better neighbor than you've ever been. You're trying to disqualify them based on their beliefs and I want to qualify them based on the love. Because what is love? It's not what you say. What loving relationship have you been in that was sufficient just by what they said? Oh, well, I said I love you, but I don't need to do anything for you. Oh, you're broken, you're hurting. Well, I'm going to go on the other side of the road. Oh, you're crying. Actually, I'd like to be in a different room right now. That's what love looks like. It didn't work very well when I tried it at home. I don't suggest you try it either. <laughs> Who is your enemy? Is it really a valid question? Because I see that everything that Jesus has shared in the Sermon on the Mount, in his story in response to this religious teacher, he does something, he's trying to do something very important that if we could get, individually, if we could understand that our story has power, and if we could understand this truth that Jesus is trying to share here, people would never walk into church feeling broken. They'd feel seen. Never walk in feeling unvalued, not worthy. Every person you'd encounter would feel the love of Jesus because you showed it to them. Jesus is doing this. He's saying, neighbor, enemy. There is none. You're trying to separate these two things and there is none. They're all people you are called to show love to. Love takes action. In this series, we're talking about the contrast community. I think this is just such a great picture in Jesus' Sermon on the Mount where he says, you say, love your neighbors and hate your enemies, let me clarify what my people will do. My people will love their enemies. When I drive, every time I drive out to Seminarm and I see this uh, 
love your enemies and then F Trudeau. I see the contrast. I see the calling of contrast. If you could think of anyone that was your enemy, could you also think of ways that you could meet them in their brokenness? Because the best thing, in, or sorry, the easiest thing for us to do in this space is to walk out with, yeah, we love our enemy and they're our neighbor and that's good. The hardest thing for us to do would be to identify who our enemy is and this week find a way to love them. And this week find a way to redistinguish and re-identify them from enemy to neighbor. Jesus says, which, which was the neighbor? Which one made themselves? a neighbor. We know very little about the traveler. We know very little about his condition. We know very little about his religious beliefs. We know very little about whether he should have been there, any of that. We know very little about that. But we do know is that someone else made themselves a neighbor. We want to justify our actions by the other party. And Jesus saying, irrelevant of the other party, be a neighbor. Uh, there's this scripture I'll, I'll maybe close with in Mark 8.35. It's the wrong Bible. They're both Bibles, don't worry. You're like, what? You're going to a different Bible? One's not a summary, that's all. Is this help? Does it hurt? Better. <laughs> I asked this question one time. Um, what would you do? This happened in our Revelstoke church when we were, um, when Kimberly and I were there. Uh, it was an Easter Sunday. A guy was in the church uh, who'd been in the church for a little bit. And a guy walks in. It's his boss. Doesn't know how he shows up at church. And he hates his boss. Like, hates his boss. Thinks his boss is the furthest person from ever walking into church in his life. Boss shows up. Honestly, I don't know how he showed up. Sermon. You know, we do worship. It probably sucked. Preach probably wasn't very good. Comes up, accepts Jesus. I'm like, why? <laughs> I didn't do anything, but that's the point. But what are you going to do? The Sunday you show up at church and your greatest enemy walks in the door. Will they see a contrast to how you act at church than how you acted on Monday with them? I sure hope not. I don't want people to be different in here than you are at your workplace. And if you find freedom to be who you are here, that gives the freedom for others to be who they are when they walk in. Do you know how awkward and uncomfortable it is to show up at a church? I go to church. And when I walk to a Catholic church, I've done that once or twice. I'm like, I don't know what's going to happen. There's these benches. They come out. Everyone stands and sits. I'm like, okay. And they're not speaking English and they all know what's, what's happening and I don't know what to do and I feel so uncomfortable and that is how every person feels when they walk in the door. And let it not be because they see your face that it in, internally increases the discomfort. Let them see your face and it internally releases that discomfort. And that's not what you do on a Sunday. Who is your enemy? What could you do this week to show them love? Who's that person you don't like? 
Or if you saw them at the grocery store, you'd go down a different aisle. Who's that person? Because I've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But Jesus says, love your enemies. Pray for them. Every enemy of yours should be on your prayer list. Even if you're praying once a year. They should be on your prayer list. Because that's actually verbatim what Jesus said. Just reading scripture here. This isn't Josiah's idea. This is Jesus' idea. Josiah's got bad ideas. Jesus, pretty good ideas. I was going to read you a scripture and then I got lost. It was in, it was in Mark 8. My computer turned off. Mark 8, 35. What if you're lying to me? You're trying to be my enemy, aren't you? Won't you be my enemy? E, 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 E. Does that mean anything? No. My kids would have sang that if they were here. Thank God they aren't. No, I'm just kidding. It says this in Matthew 8. Matthew 8, 35. It says, For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and for the gospel, gospel meaning the good news, will save it. The thing we have to get over that restricts us from doing the things that Jesus asks us is we think that it's our life. Once we recognize that Jesus paid the price for it and that it's his life, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how they hurt me in the past. I can see it through Jesus' lens. It's, I think it's amazing that they tell us nothing about the Samaritan. Or sorry, about the traveler. Maybe, the Samarit- maybe that was the Samaritan's enemy. Maybe that was the person who robbed the Samaritan at a previous time walking down that road. He'd been down the road many times, the Samaritan. Maybe he was his enemy. We don't know. But I do know, enemy, neighbor. It's all the same. If you bow your heads, I'm going to pray. Jesus, I thank you that you are removing the distinctions and the divisions that we try to create. God, I thank you that this is a space and a place that welcomes brokenness. God, I thank you that we are a church that welcomes the mess, that welcomes the uncertainty, that welcomes the where I am right now. God, I pray that we would be a people that can see anyone who walks in our doors at church, at our house, at work, anyone that we see at the grocery store, God, that we can see them and not allow enemy to be a distinction, but that we would make ourselves a neighbor. God, I pray that in this space right now, God, you would give ideas, wisdom, and insight to each individual in this room, God, of a way that they can take these words and turn them into actions. God, that we would have a story to tell because we took what you said and we put action on it. God, it's not what we do that changes people's lives, but it's us believing what you've said that shows us that you're still changing people's lives. God, I pray that you would be with each and every person as they walk out today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
Thanks for tuning in today. Each week, we gather in cities across our region and online to explore the truth of freedom available to all in the message of Jesus Christ. To find a gathering near you or to find out more, head to c3church.ca.